There is a call to clean up the rosters at our churches to ensure that members are really attending and are regenerate believers. Do we need to purify our churches? And the Chinese earthquake has caused critics of oppression there to back off, but not today's guest. Will the Olympics showcase a growing economy or a repressive government? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev... Tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. I know that that fighting spirit will hold him good, in good stead in the challenge that he faces now. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Penna Dexter, and uh, Dr. Johnson is away today. But that was Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi talking about Senator Ted Kennedy uh, saying that he is a fighter, and certainly he is that. And uh, you may have heard the news that he had a seizure over the weekend. Now doctors have diagnosed a cancerous brain tumor, uh, which caused that seizure, not a stroke, as many people had speculated. There is a tumor in Kennedy's left parietal lobe of his brain. It's malignant and it's called uh, a malignant glioma, and uh, it's a pretty nasty tumor. It's a type of brain cancer that's diagnosed in about 9,000 Americans a year, uh, the most common in adults. This is an initial diagnosis, and, of course, the treatment has yet to be announced. Senator Kennedy is the second longest-serving member of the United States Senate, uh, and, uh, of course, a lot of people are sad about this. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying everyone in Congress... Republicans and Democrats alike are thinking about the Kennedy family. I know I speak for all of my colleagues when I say that our prayers and thoughts and good wishes are with Senator Kennedy, uh, with his wife Vicki, with our colleague Patrick, his son, and with the entire Kennedy family. And if you know anything about the United States Senate, it's a real club. And even though people may disagree on issues, they do stick together. They're sort of a collegial collegial environment there. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, a very conservative Republican, said that the Republicans got the sad news about Senator Kennedy at their weekly luncheon and said a prayer. That prayer included obviously hoping for the best and for a speedy recovery for our colleague, uh, Senator Kennedy. And I know I speak for every Republican in the conference that uh, this was a a development of a great uh, concern and sadness to all of our members. Now, one of the senators who's also weighed in on this uh, is Senator Arlen Specter, a Republican. He's battled cancer, several bouts of it himself. 
And, uh, you know, he's come back to serve well in the Senate. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, how will this news affect Teddy Kennedy if he gets treatment? Uh, this uh, cancer can uh, have a survival rate of about five years if everything goes well. Doctors are saying that tests show that Senator Kennedy's uh, brain tumor is uh, in a significant location. The left side of the brain is usual in most people is the dominant hemisphere, meaning the, the side of the brain where uh, language um, and other high uh, uh, functions are located. Mm, oh, that's pretty sad. Uh, also, listen to this soundbite. Uh, this is a former advisor to the Prime Minister of France, guys, uh, actually, Xi Soman. And he says, uh, we're going to be talking about China with him later in the program, but he says China's success in the world is part mirage. There is one one aspect of the Chinese society uh, which is not well known, and I must say it took me a lot of time to understand what was going on. It's a kind of a legal apartheid. Legally, uh, all the Chinese people don't have the same rights. Uh, Every Chinese, each Chinese, has an identity card, an identity card which uh, connects this person to the place where he was born. And you don't have the same rights um, depending on the kind of identity card you have. Again, that is Guy Sormin, and uh, he will join us later in the program. We'll ask him about this apartheid in China and lots of other things. You know, China's hosting the Beijing Olympics. Of course, they're going to get to show off their tremendous growth and development in that country that's taken place there. The government has also had to deal with the critics of oppression against dissent, uh, their tremendous control of the media, and their persecution of Christians. These critics are temporarily a little bit quieter right now because of the disastrous earthquake that's taken place in Sichuan. Uh, but the underlying reasons still exist, and Guy Sorman will join us uh, to talk about all of this later in the program. But first, there has been a continuing effort within the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's going to again surface at this summer's annual meeting in Indianapolis to encourage churches uh, to list as members only those who are active and also those who are regenerate, who are actually those uh, who are born-again Christians. Is this even possible? Is this practical? And why should this happen? Now, we're going to discuss this on the program. We want to get your input, too. So uh, just uh, begin to think about what your question might be, and we'll open up the phones in a few moments. But with me uh, to discuss this uh, is Dr. Danny Burke here from the Criswell College. He is professor of New Testament and Greek. Uh, and uh, this is just a very interesting topic, Denny. I'm glad that you're here with me to discuss this. Why is this resolution being proposed at the SBC? Uh, well, just to frame things, there are actually this year three resolutions being proposed by three different men. Uh, one of them is Tom Askell. The other one is uh, Bart Barber. I think his his name is on one, but the, I think it was written substantially by Malcolm Yarnell, who's a professor at uh, at Southwestern Seminary. And then there's a, a third rev- resolution by a guy named Chris Hilliard, who's from Charlotte, North Carolina. And they all have the, um, similar themes, calling for regenerate church membership. Um, so there's three of them that it looks like may have a chance, one or all or some or a conflation. I don't know how it's going to Or a compromise. Out. Yeah, to the three of them to come out um, before the messengers to be approved. So three resolutions. Um, now, why is this important? 
That's the question that you asked. Well, it is a big question because, you know, I think these people are saying that uh, there's this tendency not to take church membership seriously. Uh, that's correct. And, um, you know, and, and people would probably affirm, all of our listeners, we're not, you know, people listening to this program are not all Baptists, um, but um, probably anybody that's been a part of a church for any time in North American evangelicalism realizes there are a lot of people who are sort of on the fringe. And um, when you go to church, you have sort of a core of people who are involved and, and uh, who serve and who are walking with the Lord and other people who are on the fringe. Um, that, to some extent, that's probably always going to exist in, in a place like ours. But what this resolution is calling for is for Baptists to be consistent with what they confess. And Baptists in particular, and there are other churches, but Baptists in particular have been distinguished by their belief that the only people who are really members of the local church are believers only. If you go to a Baptist church, um, what happens uh, if you want to join the church? Uh, you have to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. That's what happens if you want if you want to join the church. You have to become a Christian. Most churches have that kind of a framework, but our 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 beliefs about what the, the scriptures teach are that the local church is supposed to be composed of believers only. Its membership is supposed to reflect the concern for that ideal. And uh, we've been using that word regenerate. And uh, what we mean by that is that that's sort of a theological term for what Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3 when he met with Nicodemus. And um, he told Nicodemus, um, you must be born again. Um, and unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God in chapter three and, and verse uh, uh, three. And then he says in chapter three, verse five, unless you're born again, you can't unless you're born of the water and spirit, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus's teaching on being regenerate or being born again is that it has to happen in order for you to become a Christian. And so um, what we believe is, is that those the people who are born again are the only ones who are members of the churches. Uh, as Baptists, that's what we believe. Why is that important? Well, that distinguishes us from other, other traditions, um, and it distinguishes us also from what was the ideal or, or what was the case under the Old Covenant. You remember in the Old Testament, Israel, um, everyone who was born into the nation— um, were a part of the covenant, so to speak, just by virtue of their birth. Mm-hmm. Um, every male child was circumcised as an infant. Um, not every single person within Israel, though, in that national entity, were believers. They were, in fact, a mixed multitude. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 9. Not all Israel is Israel. Um, they were a part of the external people of God, as it were. There was a covenant with them as a nation, but they weren't all regenerate. They weren't all born again. The difference in the New Covenant, Baptists believe, is that New Covenant members are only regenerate people. We're not constituted as um, any certain ethnic group or any, we don't have a national, Christianity is not uh, identified with some national identity or anything like that. Christianity is for those who have been born again by the Spirit of God to see Jesus for who he is and to follow him. All right, Denny, let me take you back also in church history, because in a sense, uh, Martin Luther was also reacting to this phenomenon that, uh, you know, that the, all of the people in an area in Europe were Catholics, and, you know, everybody was a member just because you were a citizen, 
And so, you know, Luther challenged that idea. Um, that's absolutely right. But when with the reformers like Martin Luther mm-hmm. and John Calvin, um, you know, many of us Baptists would like to say, well, we wish they could have kept reforming just a little bit more <laughs> uh, because they still believed in state churches, um, you know, for all of Calvin's strengths. They still believed in state churches, and there was there was an identification between the two. And Baptists have always insisted that um, membership in the state does not mean necessarily membership in the church ever. So there's always been that separation of church and state. But probably one of the main differences is is in some of those other traditions, Presbyterianism, Lutheranism, um, even Methodism, you've got the baptism of infants. Right. So you've got, and some of our listeners will be in some evangelical churches that baptize infants. And uh, so you have it at one level, people who are coming into the community who are, you know, pre-faith. Baptists have said baptism is for believers only. And so there's... So baptism really plays into what is being discussed right yeah, now. Yeah, it does. But baptism is your is the entryway into the local church membership. And that's the whole point. Church membership is reserved for believers only, for those who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. And what's happened over the years, especially in North American uh, evangelicalism and even in our own denomination, Crystal College is, is uh, uh, representing a Southern Baptist church. Uh, we're Southern Baptist. Um, we've lost that ideal, and um, there, it's we've lost it through a number of uh, in a number of different ways. Um, we've lost it in the teaching of the church, and these resolutions that are coming before the the convention are actually calling for the churches to change their che- teaching. And, and one of the resolutions is calling for repentance in the churches. And what's happened is is instead now, Danny, of this has come up before. It has. In, in the last two years, uh, Tom Askell, as a matter of fact, we interviewed Tom Askell a year ago before the 2007 convention. I interviewed him on this program uh, to talk about it, to talk about his resolution. In the last two years, the, uh, his resolu- the, the convention declined to, to, to have a vote on his resolution. But this year, there's actually three different ones that are coming up. So there seems to be a, a groundswell of um, of interest in this, and there are actually all kinds of, of Baptists that are interested in seeing something like this um, um, come through. And, and Penna, there, there's more I need to say on this. The listeners, you have not heard everything you need to hear We're on this. We're going to talk about it. We're going to come back to it in just a second. So We'd we'll also love break. to hear from you if you've got comments or questions on this whole idea of, of purifying the roles of the church. Uh, requiring uh, immersion baptism to be a member of the church. Lots of these issues uh, are on the table, and it's just not a Southern Baptist issue, but 16 million Southern Baptists, that's the number that uh, Southern Baptists use. Some folks are saying that there are really only 6 million who attend regularly. Do you think that's a problem? Give us a call on this, 800-881-9270. We'll continue this discussion right after this. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. 
Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. If you come from a rural village from Sichuan and Hunan or I don't know where, you go to Beijing or to Shanghai to find a work, okay? You can find a work uh, legally or illegally. But not being a citizen of Shanghai or Beijing, uh, you can't live there. Uh, you, can't, you don't have access to public services. Uh, you cannot send your children to school in Beijing or Shanghai. Uh, you cannot get into a hospital. You don't get health care. Um, Sometimes you can't uh, take a local transportation uh, because you don't have the right identity card. And it's called the HUCO system. And so this is legal apartheid. Guy Somang will be our guest later in the program. Here he is explaining what he means about apartheid in China. That's something uh, that we in the West may not know about. Uh, there are lots of other things we may not know. And we also want to discuss, of course, the Chinese government's treatment of people who disagree with them, especially in the run-up to the Olympics. And that will be later in the program. But right now, we are talking about something that's treated at length in the Southern Baptist Texan newspaper, uh, if you get that or if you can get a hold of that, talking about regenerate membership resolutions that will be offered at the Southern Baptist Convention and why they are important. Dr. Denny Burke, uh, professor of New Testament and Greek at the Criswell College, is with me to talk about it. And Dr. Burke, uh, in a sense, you know, I do look at... Uh, church roles where members have long left, long ago left the church, and uh, there are just thousands of people on some of these church roles that are either hardly ever there, uh, perhaps unsaved, or not attending at all. And so in a sense, you know, part of this isn't just an effort to be honest about membership, isn't it? Well, really the church roles, and you're in Southern Baptist life, you know, that number that you always hear, there's 16 million right. Southern Baptists. And um, we, we really don't know where more than half of those people are that are listed on the rolls. And in any typical Southern Baptist church, that's the case. You typically have a lot more people on the rolls than you have that are actually attending and vital believers participating in the church. The rolls aren't the problem. The church rolls are a symptom of the problem. Okay. Because what are the rolls telling us? They're telling us that we sh we're saying we have a membership. These people that are on this list are people who are believers in Jesus and who walk with Jesus. And we don't know where they are. What that means is, is that they're not being discipled. It means they're not either they're gone to some other church and for some reason we don't know about it. But a lot of the time it's that they've they they're not being shepherded at all. They're not walking with Jesus at all. And if you live in a culture where people sort of, you know, maybe came forward at a revival or they got their name put on the roll when they were nine and nobody's ever seen them again. What that means is, is that they have um, in many cases, not every case, but in many cases, 
they're just not walking with the Lord, but they're still counted as members. So what does that mean? That means the church is not doing what the Bible calls us to do in maintaining a believing church membership. And um, the way that's maintained is through a number of things. Number one, through discipleship and teaching, um, that people understand what it means to follow Christ. They're encouraged to do that. And number three, and number two, through the accountability of church discipline, which is a practice that the churches have lost, which means if a guy decides who's a professing believer in Christ, he decides, you know, one day, for instance, he just wants to trade his wife in for a younger one. The church doesn't sit on the sideline and, and, and you know, be neutral about that. The church has at its disposal something called church discipline or excommunication. And if a person decides that they're not going to live like a believer, Jesus in Matthew 18 and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, Corinthians 5 commands us to treat that person like they're an unbeliever. It doesn't say no, they're an unbeliever, but it says treat them like one and to set them outside of the community. The practical consequence of that, of course, in, in our context would mean that their, their names would be taken off the roll. They would be excluded from, from, from the fellowship. And the point of church discipline is not to be mean to people when they're wayward. The point of church discipline is to encourage them to come back. Sure. So that by the ostracism, they would become so. Paul says, I've, he, he's, Paul addressed the situation in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, where a guy was actually sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul said to the church, Why have you tolerated this? You have become arrogant. You should have put him out. I've already decide, decided to deliver this person over to, the, to Satan for the destruction of mm-hmm. his flesh, which I think he's saying to set him outside of the community of the church. Um, for the purpose of so that his soul may be saved, his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. So ultimately he'd be saved, but encouraged through the pain of being outside of the community to be encouraged to come back and to repent. And so what happens is, is that believers, I believe, will ultimately respond to that kind of disciplinary action. And unbelievers will leave. And unbelievers will leave. And so that practice of church discipline gives us integrity in our okay, in our roles, Denny, in do our you, membership. Do you think that some churches are afraid of exactly that, that unbelievers will leave and we will have lost the opportunity to bring them to salvation? Well, salvation is a call to follow Jesus. It's a call to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not a call to, um, you know, just go to heaven. You don't. Jesus said there's two ways. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's apart from works. But authentic, spirit-caused salvation is something that changes a person in their heart such that they want to walk after Jesus. If a person is unwilling to walk after Jesus, they're not a believer. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. But what it does mean is that when a person is truly saved, they're truly changed. It's just like... um, uh, well, like the Apostle John said in First John, whoever says he's come to know him and doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. In other words, the evidence that a person knows Christ savingly is a changed life. If you don't have a changed life, then you don't know him, John says. And so the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the church has been given the responsibility to distinguish between those who are walking with Jesus and those who aren't. It doesn't mean that we all become fruit pickers. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that um, that we're all sinless. The difference between a, a Christian and a non-Christian is not that a Christian doesn't struggle with sin. 
A Christian is the only one who struggles with sin. The Christian is marked by repentance, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to blow it before this day is out, 500 times probably. That's why I need Christ. That's why I need Jesus. It's his, his redemption alone that saves me. And it's his spirit in my heart that motivates me to repent. The Christian is marked by repentance. The problem is, is when there are believers who refuse, people who call themselves believers who refuse to repent, the church has to say, you can't do that. Okay. We are taking your calls on this issue. We've got a lot of people waiting here. Thanks for waiting. We're going to go first uh, to Alicia in San Angelo, listening on KCRN. Alicia, thanks for calling in. Thank you. I really had two questions. Okay. One, um, our church, when we have people who want to become members or new members, um, they take instruction classes, and that way they are not surprised. You know, six months down the road, they say, oh, your church practices this? I had no idea. They take it and, before they become a member. Right. You take yeah. instruction classes before you become a member. and then. Um, but um, uh, I, I wondered if the Baptist church was thinking of doing that. Or if you just make a confession of faith, and then you're a member. And then secondly... I took if, an instruction class before I joined a Southern Baptist church. It's, it's, I just think that's a good idea. Yeah, and Alicia, I, and actually, the Baptist churches are different depending on what church you go to. A lot of them do have that. I would just you know say that if you're going to do church discipline, it's absolutely essential that your membership knows up front that your church does that and what they're signing up for. This is not something that should be a surprise to anyone. Okay, cool. uh, what's your other question? The question was that, um, what about baptism? If a person was raised in a different faith uh, or a different denomination, would the Baptist Church have them be baptized again into the Baptist Church, or would their baptism um, uh, carry over? Once baptized, you know, you're... you're uh, you Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually one that um, Baptists, Southern Baptists in particular, um, have a lot of debates over. Um, our confession of faith more or less defines baptism as the immersion of a, of a believer in water. And so, you know, we believe that if, if a believer has been baptized and uh, they were immersed in water, they were immersed as a believer, that counts as a baptism. Now, there are debates over the details of that, but um, I would say, for instance, if a person was sprinkled as a child, if, you believe, if you're a Baptist and you believe the Bible like a Baptist does, that, that's not even a baptism. Um, we wouldn't we wouldn't. So if you got immersed as a believer, that's not your second baptism. That's your first. The first one wasn't even a baptism, biblically defined. OK, quick, real quick. Let's go to another caller since we asked everybody to call in. We're coming up at the end of the segment. So Charles in Dallas has got to be short. OK, a couple of quick points. Uh, one is that uh, I was shocked in the Baptist church that since we obviously believe that salvation is by grace through faith, that. Further than that, uh, that we require baptism to put that person on the roll at the at the church building. And second, and I'll just leave it at this, is that it. it so you think that's a bad idea or a good idea? I, I think that it becomes uh, makes it into a legalistic act. Uh, so people become baptized when they're not really professing Christ. That's what you no, think. No, that they're baptized to join the church. They're not baptized as an act of obedience uh, in in their response to Jesus. Okay, let Christ. me let Denny respond to that because we're coming up on a break. Well, it's just important to note that it's not legalism to obey Jesus. Jesus said, you know, in the Great Commission to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not legalism to obey Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, it's your it's the biblical first public profession of faith that you're identifying with Christ. Just saying with your mouth that you, you're professing faith in Christ is one thing. The biblical way that you do that before the community is to identify with Christ through baptism. So that's the uh, crossing of the Rubicon, not walking down the, the aisle. All right. Denny Burke has uh, blogged on this at uh, DennyBurke.com. And Dr. Burke, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we could have talked about this all day. Perhaps we'll revisit it as the Southern Baptist Convention approaches. But thank you for joining me. Thank you. Next up, uh, we're going to talk about China. Of course, that earthquake has quieted criticism for now, but there are problems in China. And uh, we're going to discuss it with Guy Sormon right after this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. We stand ready to help in any way that the Chinese government would like. We know there's uh, great courage being displayed, Mr. Ambassador, as rescue workers search for those who may still be living. That's President Bush speaking today uh, during a visit to the Chinese embassy, saying that America wants to assist China in earthquake relief. This is out of the Wall Street Journal today, coming out of Hong Kong, and it says, in the aftermath of the uh, deadly Sichuan earthquake, the clamor of criticism that had been dogging China over human rights issues and its policies towards Tibet has suddenly been silenced. The deaths of at least 34,000 and as many as 50,000 people from the quake has unleashed unleashed a groundswell of sympathy from overseas that has forced some critics of the Beijing government, including activists who had organized protests during the Olympic torch relay, to think twice about their tactics. Uh, but I'm sure that will surface again. And with us to discuss all of this is Guy Sormont. He's a leading French public intellectual. He's the author of 20 books on contemporary affairs covering the five continents. He's a regular com- uh, columnist for Le Figaro in France the Wall Street Journal, City Journal in the U.S. and other newspapers around the world. And he is also a former advisor to the Prime Minister of France and author of a new book, The Empire uh, of the Lies. I'm sorry, of the lies, <laughs> uh, the truth about China in the 21st century. I had a little typo here in front of me. Uh, at the book again, The Empire of the Lies. What a great title. And uh, Ambassador Saumon, thank you very much for joining me. No, my pleasure, Pena. It's nice to be with you. And, uh, of course, it's a very difficult situation for the Chinese people. But uh, uh, what we have to know tonight is that uh, many uh, Chinese are absolutely furious against their own government uh, because many children have been killed in schools and not by accident. It's because the schools have been badly built uh, because of uh, government officials' corruption and the, the school were not safe, and, uh, you know, and the, the children are the victims of this earthquake, and once again, not for natural reasons, but for political reasons. Uh, you know, you talk about this apartheid. We played a couple of clips earlier uh, from you uh, talking about it and defining this apartheid in China. And this has been highlighted by this earthquake because of the tremendous number of children that have been killed in these subpar built schools. Yes. And just uh, the, the, the numbers, uh, because, you know, if you had an earthquake of that magnitude in the United States, you wouldn't have those numbers. 
Of course. I mean, you know, you have, you have two kind of Chinese people, if I may say so. I mean, the, uh, if you belong to the Communist Party, I mean, if you have connection, if you have the right uh, uh, documents, I mean, uh, you know, life is good. I mean, you are making money and uh, you can send your children to good schools. But if you belong to the other China, I mean, the invisible China, the people we never uh, hear about, I mean, the uh, uh, Basically, you have no legal rights, and uh, you have a poor jobs or no jobs, and, uh, and you send your children to poor schools, and these schools are all destroyed uh, by the earthquake. So the, the earthquake I mean, is kind of a demonstration of uh, the kind of apartheid which does exist in China. And I think the uh, uh, political consequences of this earthquake, um, you know, we, we will see that in the coming months. And the, uh, the, 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 the victims know that they are the victims not only of the earthquake, they are victims of a political system as well. With me is the author of what's been called a jaw-dropping book, The Empire of Lies, The Truth About China in the 21st Century. He is Guy Sormont. And Guy, and something else I read in the Wall Street Journal today uh, is about uh, the way that the Chinese government has controlled the media, the ability for Chinese to even be involved in pursuit of entertainment right now. And it's amazing the clamping down that takes place and that they actually can do that in a country that's mushrooming uh, economically. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the, the Communist Party in China is a very sophisticated organization. And uh, they know how to control the population. And the, uh, the media, of course, are very much under control. And uh, it's forbidden in China, for example, to, uh, have, uh, to build any private organization. I mean, they, uh, you cannot just, just decide and go to Sichuan and help the victims of the earthquake. I mean, everything is under control. Everything is channeled by the Communist Party. And um, the, the party is very afraid of the political, con- political consequence of the earthquake. And this is why they, they, they control the information. And they don't want any uh, intrusion from foreign countries. You know, uh, the United States or Japan could bring into China technologies which the Chinese don't have to help the victims and maybe to save more people. But the Chinese government doesn't want that. I mean, the uh, uh, party control comes first. And, uh, yeah, and the, the victims come second. All right. The value of human life and whether a government uh, values life or not, I think, is sort of key to uh, the goodness of that government. And in yes. a sense, the refusal to allow people to come in right away and help shows that that government doesn't value life. Well, it's a, uh, I mean, power comes first. Uh, once again, the, uh, the, 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 the Communist Party uh, is mostly interested in its own power, its own financial resources, its own control o- o- on the population. And they, they don't want any kind of change because they, they think the system is good for them. Once again, it's, it's good for the party. Even it's not that, that good for the, the nation. And <clears throat> we, we don't understand that very well, you know, in the, in the West, because the, uh, uh, we, we look only at the economic success. Uh, we, we, we know very little about the, uh, the, the poor people, the forgotten people. Basically, they have no voice. So what I've tried to do in my book is I mean, to, to listen to the voiceless Chinese and what they have to do, what they have to say. 
What about Christians in China? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of protesting going on in the run-up to the Olympics about uh, the treatment of uh, Tibet and also about um, the Chinese being uh, such an economic force in Sudan where there's such oppression of Christians and others. But what about just Christians in China? I mean, they're being jailed, aren't they? Oh, yes. But I would say not not only Christian. I mean, China is a very religious uh, nation uh, by tradition. It's very religious, and uh, you have a lot of, I mean, a lot of Buddhist, Taoist, and uh, and 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 a lot of Christians. And religion is in China. You have to know that religion in China is forbidden, except if you worship in an official church or official temple controlled by the Communist Party. And of course, I mean, the uh, people who want to worship in their own churches. And therefore, I mean, the, uh, the Christian, the Buddhist, and the Taoist, I mean, the, um, they are severely repressed. And the, um, the, the leaders, I mean, the monks or the priests or the pastors, I mean, the, uh, when they are found by the party, uh, they are immediately uh, sent to what's called the uh, Center for Education, uh, which is a kind of place where you, um, you are put in for four, five years. Uh, without any, any any judgment, so you know we 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 have seen a lot of pictures in of Tibet, I mean the revolt of Buddhist monks against the Communist Party, uh, but this happens everywhere in China. Uh, the the difference is that we had photos from Tibet because there were foreign tourists in Tibet, but in other parts of China we don't have the photos, but we do know uh, by internet, um, word of mouth, then the uh, religious revolts are everywhere. And about Christianity, I mean, the, um, um, I, I was struck when living in China by the very strong interest of the students in the uh, top universities uh, for the Christian religion. There are a lot of secret groups, you know, at night of students working together to study the Bible. I mean, this is something extremely significant in China right uh, today. Wow, that's very interesting. Okay, my next question has to do with the Olympics, because yes. a lot of people were, first of all, against uh, Beijing being given the Olympics because they thought that it would be sort of a cover-up for the repression that takes place. But then once they were given the Olympics, people thought, okay, this is an opportunity to put pressure on China over repression and their treatment of various groups that dissent uh, or uh, religious groups. So what is going to happen? I mean, is there is there like an effort to sort of cleanse around the Olympic areas, get the religious people out of there so that they aren't making a a fuss? Oh, yes. Security will be extremely tight. And uh, actually, since the beginning of this year, it started early January. Um, uh, Religious leaders, uh, human rights activists in Beijing have been arrested and and put into jail. Um, Many people I mentioned in my book whom I could meet last year and talk with them freely, uh, all of them have been arrested. So the cleansing, in a way, the political and religious cleansing has already uh, started. And on top of it, I mean, the, we know that uh, roughly one million people um, living now in Beijing uh, will be invited to go to the countryside uh, during the Olympic Games so that the uh, security will be easier to maintain uh, in the capital city during the Games. All right. A lot of our listeners uh, pray a lot. And so how can people pray for China? Well, we, we should pray not for China. We should pray for the Chinese 
And the, uh, the, the problem with, uh, with China uh, in the United States or in Europe that the, uh, we, 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 we have a lot of prejudice uh, towards these people. I mean, the, uh, the, the Chinese are individuals like um, you and me. I mean, they are our brothers and sisters. They want political and religious freedom. So uh, we have to pray for them and to, to support them individually. And um, I gave in my book, or you can find on many websites, names of people who deserve our support. Wonderful. This sounds like a great book, uh, very informative. And again, uh, Guy Sormont is the author. The book is Empire of Lies, The Empire of Lies, The Truth About China in the 21st Century. And... uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you, Pena. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've got one more segment, and there's so much we didn't cover today. So uh, we're going to try to do that in the fourth segment. One of those things, we want to know from you, just a couple of the first two uh, calls that come in on this American Idol showdown tonight, David versus David. Which David do you like? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. A lot of people just have no idea which David's going to win, American Idol, and uh, it's a little bit of a tough call. So we'll take your calls right after this. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. That prayer included obviously hoping for the best and for a speedy recovery for our colleague, uh, Senator Kennedy. And I know I speak for every Republican in the conference that uh, this was a, a development of a great concern and sadness to all of our members. Well, I think it's great. That was Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell saying Republicans, of course, got this news about Senator Kennedy's uh, cancer, brain cancer, at their weekly lunch, and they actually said a prayer. And uh, so, you know, for all the bad things that are being said about Republicans lately, it's nice to hear that they're uh, praying for uh, really somebody that they uh, stand in opposition to in the United States Senate on uh, just about every issue. Uh, But now they're praying for Senator Kennedy, and I'm sure many others across the nation are doing so. 
Uh, we didn't hear such an announcement from the Democrats, but I'm sure many Democrats are also praying for him, too. Well, I just wanted to throw out the question for Idol fans. If anybody uh, wants to express their preference, which David will take home the title of American Idol tomorrow night? Of course, they'll both sing. David Archuleta, David Cook. It's the David versus David uh, showdown. Usually, uh, from what I understand, because this is the first year that I've actually watched American Idol, and I've been watching since there were about 10 finalists. Somehow I just got involved this time. And uh, there's two Davids. There's 17-year-old David Archuleta, young uh, Mormon man from from, uh, Utah, and, uh, of course, he's appealing to, I think, the younger set across the nation. And David Cook, more of a rocker with a great voice. And so if you want to call in and tell us uh, who you're voting for, who you prefer, we'll let you do that during this segment, even though we're going to move on to another issue. And that certainly has to do with a report that's come out uh, in the Jerusalem uh, post that the White House has denied. Uh, it's actually an Army radio report that claimed that uh, President Bush intends to attack Iran before the end of his term. And uh, of course, there's been a lot about Iran, including statements by presidential candidate Barack Obama. Iran is the single biggest beneficiary of a war in Iraq that should have never been authorized and should have never been waged. Uh, of course, he's been making statements to that effect uh over and over again, and there's been a lot uh, out there about what his policies, what Obama's policies would be surrounding uh, Iran, since he has said that he would sit down with various leaders of nations, including the leader of Iran, and just kind of negotiate. And uh, one of the things that he said, and this I think shows, according to many, that he is vulnerable on national security issues, is that he said uh, that Hamas, which is a terrorist group, and Hezbollah need to understand that they're going down a blind alley with violence that weakens their legitimate claims. And that word uh, legitimate and that their claims are legitimate, uh, the claims of Hamas, uh, one of those claims is, of course, for Israel not to exist. Uh, That's just uh, over the top, according to certain critics, and I agree with that. Uh, Hezbollah also uh, dedicated to the death of Israel, and uh, so uh, Obama is receiving a lot of criticism because of that. Well, let's go back to our sound bites, uh, Larry, and hear uh, now from John McCain, his opponent, uh, saying Barack Obama's idea to sit down and negotiate with Iran really does show the Democrats' inexperience and reckless judgment. I believe in all kinds of pressures on Iran. But I do not believe in sitting down in face-to-face negotiations without any conditions. All right, here's the report uh, that came out uh, from Army Radio, uh, basically saying that while the military option had not been taken off the table, uh, Army Radio actually claimed that Bush intends to attack, but the administration is saying uh, they prefer to resolve concerns about Iran's push for a nuclear weapon through peaceful diplomatic means But the Bush administration does not mean what Barack Obama has been advocating, and that is President Bush or any U.S. president sitting down with an Iranian leader, Ahmadinejad, and trying to negotiate something. You just don't do that. You you legitimize the regime, number one, rather than isolate them, which has been the diplomatic goal. And you also end up 
sometimes making concessions that are not wise just simply because of this face-to-face situation. And that's why normally when a president sits down with another leader, there has been a lot of diplomacy that has taken place in the run-up to that. And uh, that's why Barack Obama is very naive when he talks about Reagan and Gorbachev, because the groundwork had been laid uh, for their negotiations. And uh, so it's a whole different situation also is negotiating with a legitimate uh, government and not one that has been arming our enemies. Uh, Let's go now to White House Secretary Dana Perino, because she is denying this Jerusalem Post report. Again, the report saying President Bush planning to attack Iran before uh, leaving office. Uh, And Dana Perino saying this is not worth the paper it's printed on. She says President Bush continues to seek diplomatic means of halting Iran's nuclear program. He's working with international allies. We've already passed three Security Council resolutions. We're now working on an incentives package. We have multilateral um, agreement that Iran should not be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. So this is the White House today dismissing this story uh, that has gotten a lot of play. And, of course, uh, they do say that uh, the U.S. remains opposed to Iran's ambitions to obtain a nuclear weapon working to bring these uh, diplomatic pressures, economic pressures on the Iranians to get them to change their behavior and also to halt this uh, uh, uranium enrichment program. And uh, the uh, denial, Dana Perino's statement again went on saying, as the president has said, no president of the U.S. should ever take any options off the table. There could be a negotiation down the line, but the groundwork would have to be laid and there would have to be preconditions. Uh, She says our our preference and our actions for dealing with this matter remain through peaceful diplomatic means. Nothing has changed in that uh, regard. And again, Dana Perino saying President Bush's preference is for a diplomatic solution, but you never rule out a military option. The president has said that no president, no matter who it is, either him or anyone in the future, should take options off the table. It's not a smart way to negotiate. And, of course, President Bush says himself, he said, uh, permitting the world's leading sponsor of terror to possess the world's deadliest weapon would be an unforgivable betrayal of future generations. So for the sake of peace, the world has got to allow Iran to have uh, or what must not allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon, and that's got to be the bottom line. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to mention tomorrow uh, we're going to talk with a very inter- about a very interesting subject, the gender of God. Is God male, female, both, or neither? Of course, we've always heard, we've heard for many years about uh, this gender norming of the Bible and many versions of the Bible have done so. We're going to talk with an expert on theology. Also, uh, later uh, this week, a very special interview with uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell's uh, widow, Maisel. And she's written a new biography of her uh, now-deceased husband, Dr. Jerry Falwell. That, uh, that ought to be very interesting. Also, next week, speaking of Southern Baptists, we're going to talk with Dr. Frank Page, president of the Southern uh, Baptist Convention. And uh, we can ask him some questions about the issue that we discussed today, maybe what he thinks about this whole idea of um, regeneration, uh, I'm sorry, of um, regenerate membership in churches and these resolutions requiring that. And also we'll talk with Dr. David Dockery, president of Union University, to talk about the progress in rebuilding that wonderful university. So we've got a lot ahead. So we hope you join us every day for Jerry Johnson Jerry Johnson Live. A Christian Worldview radio show. 
Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.